pretty good. Hey, we've been uh, kind of starting in a series of last month, and we've been kind of going through uh, many of the parables uh, that Jesus told and kind of calling this God's favorite stories because a lot of our favorite stories are God's favorite stories, and they're really kind of the ones Jesus talked about there in the parables. And today's parable that we're going to talk about is found in uh, Matthew chapter 13. And I want to begin there in verse 24. If you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open those, follow along with me, or you can simply look on the screen there. And there it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both go grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Now like most parables <clears throat> that Jesus told, the disciples were not really clear on its meaning. And so they asked Jesus in verse 36, they said, would you explain to us that story, that parable of the weeds in the field? So Jesus replies and says, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Several months ago, I was rummaging through a book uh, bin of all of these books that were kind of being clearanced, and I ran across a very interesting book with this title, and it was called, Why Did the Heavens Not Darken? And it was written by a man named Arno Meyer. And from all indications of the book itself, it was not a religious book, it was not written from a religious standpoint, nor um, did the author define himself as a Christian or someone who really practiced any form of religion. The book kind of dealt with the issue of the Holocaust, which Meyer referred to as the final solution. Now, one of the reviews of this book by the New York Times kind of really captured the essence of the book as well as the title. And there it said, given the enormity of the crimes perpetrated by Nazi Germany during World War II, the title of Arno Mayer's book, new book raises the question that many people will have asked themselves as they remember and try to comprehend the Holocaust. Our task would be less difficult and agonizing if the heavens had actually darkened. Since they did not, we must search 
for the answer elsewhere. Now again, this was interesting to me because again, this was not intended to be a religious book. It had no religious bent to it and the author did not claim to have any religious ties and yet in one sense, God is indicted by the very title. Why didn't the heavens darken? It's the same thing as saying they should have. It's the same thing as saying, why didn't God do something? Where was God in the middle of all of this horrific torture, this murder, starvation, and suffering? Couldn't God have at least registered some kind of an acknowledgement of what was going on? It's amazing to me that people who do not even profess themselves to be Christians or really religious at all have built into them some sense of justice that God should have done something. I mean, why didn't God at least allow the heavens to darken? Why didn't God just show at least some disfavor or disapproval of what was going on? Maybe it would have been too much to expect God to come down and have ended the whole thing, but at least he could have frowned on it a little bit by letting the heavens darken. That way we would have at least known God was saying he didn't like what was going on. But for all practical purposes, God seems to have ignored the whole business. That's kind of the premise of this book. And therefore, the author is saying the explanation of what happened in the Holocaust really can't be found in God. God had nothing to say, so we've got to look elsewhere. And in this sense, the author really is asking the same question that Jesus' disciples ask him in the meaning of the parable. In verse 36, they said to Jesus in response to the parable of the wheat and the tares, they said to, would you please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field? Now Jesus tells him a parable about wheat and weeds, but when they ask Jesus to explain the parable, they don't ask about the wheat. Please explain to us, tell us why there are weeds in the field. Again, the parable was about wheat and weeds, the good and the bad. But what stuck in their minds was, explain to us the weeds, the bad, the evil in the field. The fact of the matter is there is both good and evil in the world. But do you notice we never question the good? We never demand an explanation from God for all of the good that goes on in our lives, in our world. Nobody ever says, God, why is there so much good in the world? Why do you just keep blessing me? Instead, people say, why is there so much bad? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering in the world? God, can you explain that to us? It seems the only time we ever question or demand any kind of an explanation from God is when something bad happens. So it's like insurance companies kind of come by this pretty naturally, don't they? 
All of these hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, all of this bad stuff, they kind of just throw it under one category, act of God. We never seem to question God when anything good or all of the blessings come into our lives. And like us, we're, we're kind of like those disciples in our approach, in our questioning to Jesus. We aren't interested in understanding the wheat. We're not interested in understanding the good. Just bring it on, God. We're not gonna question you about the blessings. Just keep blessing me. Just explain the weeds. You at least owe us an explanation about the bad, the evil, the suffering in the world. That's what we're interested in knowing from you, God. Christian author and pastor R.C. Sproul once said, he said, we sing the song Amazing Grace, but it's not grace we are amazed at. We think we deserve that. It's justice or the lack thereof we're amazed at. Isn't that interesting? Again, do you ever notice, nobody ever says, why is there so much good in the world? We always ask, why is there so much evil in the world? And we, like those disciples to whom Jesus tells this parable to, focus on the problem and the presence of the weeds and not the wheat. I said before, being a Christian gives you problems and challenges you otherwise would not have. For instance, how can you believe in a good and a loving God if you believe he has the power to do anything he wants and yet appears to do nothing to prevent or deal with the problem of evil and suffering in the world. See, being an atheist doesn't give you the same problems concerning the issue of evil. Atheists, non-believers, they would address the presence of evil and suffering saying, that's the way life is. Welcome to the world, it's karma, it's luck, it's good luck, it's bad luck, it's just the way the cookie crumbles. I love what G.K. Chesterton once said. He said, if there was no God, there'd be no atheist. That's true. So again, no matter how you explain the presence of evil, atheists don't have the problem, the obstacles explaining it that Christians have. See, the moment you put your faith in God who is loving, good, holy, righteous, sovereign, all of a sudden you kind of begin to have some problems. Because again, if there is this God who is all powerful, all loving, all good and kind, why is there so much evil in the world? Please explain to us the weeds in the field. Now as we get into the meaning of this parable, one of the most interesting, and I'll be honest with you, some of the, one of the most frustrating aspects of this parable to me is probably the part of the parable I understand the least, and yet it's the part of the parable I wanna understand the most. And it's the statement that Jesus says in verse 30, let both the wheat and the weeds, the good and the evil, grow together until the harvest. In other words, let good and evil coexist side by side until the end of the world. 
Jesus says, leave them both alone. Let them grow together. At the end of the harvest, at the end of the world, the good will be separated from the evil, and they will be gathered together and burned. Again, this is probably the most perplexing part of the parable to me. Huge difference between Hitler and Mother Teresa. I mean, one served humanity, one did a great disservice to humanity, and yet Jesus says, let them both grow together. Why? Get rid of the one, take him out. But for some reason, Jesus says, let them both grow together. What I believe Jesus is actually really kind of teaching and giving to us is really a pretty accurate, pretty good picture of how things are currently in the world. This really is the world as you and I now currently live in it. So with the time remaining this morning, I wanna focus on just three truths. I'll be honest with you, I'm only gonna get to the first truth this morning. We'll pick up two and three next week. There are you know, many important points, but I wanna focus on at least just three uh, this week and next week. And the first statement that I just love out of this parable is that statement, an enemy has done this. In Matthew 13, 27, the farmer's workers go to see him. They said, sir, the field where you planted that good seed is now full of weeds. Where did those weeds come from? And the farmer replies and says, an enemy has done this. That tells me that every evil committed in the world from the beginning there in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil through this present day, all evil and suffering, all the bad in the world has the fingerprints of the devil all over it. Everything, the world, everything in it as God created it there in Genesis chapter one was good. God said, it's good. And beginning there in the Garden of Eden, the devil and his kingdom of demons come in and they begin to sow weeds then and have continued sowing weeds throughout the world ever since. Always trying to counter the good things that God is doing and those who are a part of their kingdom, of his kingdom, and the devil and his kingdom of demons. They come alongside and they are the source, the influence, the driving force behind all of the evil from the greatest to the least in this world. And one of the things I think that is so evident in this parable, and I think our human experience validates this, one of the great mysteries, the ambiguities, the tensions that all of us feel in life is how closely good and evil can coexist and at times just seem inseparable. Because in the same field where there is good, you'll also find evil. Now just think about that for a moment. You have the fall of Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. Sin enters into the human race. And it separates us from our Heavenly Father. And right there in the very first family, you have the good son Abel. Remember, Abel offers this acceptable sacrifice to God. And in that same family, you have Cain, who offers an unacceptable offering. And you remember, he becomes filled with jealousy and rage and envy against his brother Abel, and he goes and murders him. Same family, 
Same field, two children, two totally different outcomes. Abel is influenced and obedient to the kingdom of God in that he brings this offering that is pleasing and acceptable to God, whereas the other is influenced to bring an offering that is not pleasing nor acceptable to God and seems to be influenced by and represents that other kingdom. One family, one field, both kingdoms present and at work. I mean, let's be honest, some of you have felt this same tension and that coexistence of good and evil in your families. You feel as a parent, you've done everything right or mostly right. You've tried to be the best parent that you can be. You've endeavored to set a good example. You've tried to be there for your children. You've supported them, encouraged them, prayed for them. You made sure that they were in church, in Sunday school, involved in church activities, provided for them. You've done everything you know to do as a parent, and for one child, they turn out great. No major problems, they flourish in life, everything just seems to turn out fine for them. While another child, raised under the same roof, same parents, same general conditions, they have problems in school, brushes with the law, get involved with drugs and alcohol, commit serious crimes, and seems nothing goes right or works out with this child. And as a parent, you're standing there perplexed, you're scratching your head, and you're thinking, what happened here? What's gone on here? And the parable Jesus tells may contain a partial explanation. An enemy has done this. It may be you didn't do anything wrong, it's just for some reason the other kingdom had a stronger, more prevailing influence. And as believers, it's not that we just give up and say, okay, Satan, you won. No, no, we continue to sow the good seed into their lives. We pray for them, we love them, we encourage them, we trust them as we just continue to sow and to trust God for their lives. And that in time, the kingdom of God will ultimately prevail. But again, my point is we live with that tension and the reality that both good and evil coexist and they have their influence. And Jesus confirms for us in the parable there indeed are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And every one of us chooses which kingdom has our allegiance. Which kingdom is going to influence us? Which kingdom are we going to serve? And again, as parents, as grandparents, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, regardless of our connection to one another, as Christians, as members of God's kingdom, Jesus is telling us we need to be doing all that we can be doing to influence our children and each other, to choose to be a part of the good that God is doing in his kingdom both there and here. But at the same time, we need to understand, we need to be fully aware of that other kingdom, that other body of sin. 
those who are members of the evil one. They represent the weeds, Jesus says, and they're going to be doing all that they can do to influence, to persuade your children as well as others to choose and to serve the kingdom of the enemy. And those choices reflect that battle, that tension between the flesh and the spirit. And we've all felt that in our lives. And we'll all continue to feel that pull in varying degrees. We need to know there is an enemy out there that wants to destroy us and wants to disrupt the good that God has for us. The New Testament is similar in that it portrays two bodies. Paul talks about there's one body of Christ, which is Jesus Christ, and he is the head, and every believer is a part of that body. And many of you here this morning, as as believers, you are a part of the body of Christ of which Jesus Christ is the head. The other body Paul talks about, he says, that's the body of sin. And he said, Satan is the head of that, and every unbeliever is a part of that body. And every one of us is a part of one of those two bodies. Every one of you here this morning, some of you are a part of the body of Christ. Some of you are a part or a member of the body of sin. And Jesus tells us in the parable that those in the body of Christ are the wheat that we have been called, commissioned to do the work of sowing God's seed upon this earth, while those who are in the body of sin, of which Satan is the head, are gonna be doing the work of sowing weeds by doing evil and influencing others to do the same. That's the battle before us. That is the world we currently live in. And the reality is, is that in this war of good and evil, folks, there are going to be victories. There are going to be casualties. There are going to be winners, and there are going to be losers. But thanks be to God because his desire, his overarching overall plan is that each one of us be victorious and we do that by becoming his children. We overcome evil by doing good. We overcome the weeds by being the wheat, a member of his body, doing his will and his good works upon this earth, bringing about his kingdom upon the earth just as it is in heaven. And that's what Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. And again, I think as believers, we we need to understand we've got to be aware. This is the world that we currently live in because of the door that was open to sin in this universe that wherever God is sowing good seed into our lives, at some point, maybe while we're very, very unaware of it, or we're not looking, The enemy is going to be coming in and sowing weeds right alongside of and on top of the good seed and that wheat and those weeds are going to come up and they're going to grow together. And so throughout our lives, right up until the moment we die or Jesus comes back, every time God sows good seed into our lives, the enemy is going to be there trying to sow the bad seeds. That's what the enemy does. And again, we need to be wise and to understand and be aware of that because it may explain some of the things that are going on in your lives right now. 
We see the role and the activity of the enemy in another parable we talked about at the very beginning of this series. Remember the parable of the four different kinds of soil in Luke 8, beginning in verse 5. Jesus talks about a farmer went out to plant his seed. He scattered it across the field. That's where we got the idea from, Dave, Muth, the scattering of the seed. We just didn't say that they planted it in nice little neat rows eight inches apart. They just scattered it. That's just kind of a joke between he and I. Some of it fell on the footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed, the fertile soil, it grew and produced a crop that was 100 times as much as he had been planted. And like the parable we're studying today, parables, the disciples, they did not understand what Jesus was talking about. And so they said, could you just explain that to us? So in verse 11, Jesus explains, and I'm only going to give you Jesus' explanation of the first seed. He said, the meaning of the the parable is this. The seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The devil, the enemy has done this. This is part of his strategy. It's part of what's happening in a lot of people's lives and they're totally unaware of it. The devil comes and he takes it away. He snatches it before it can take root and begin to grow and produce fruit in people's lives and prevent them from believing and being saved. So not only is the enemy sowing weeds, bad things among the wheat, the good things God is sowing into your lives, the enemy is also trying to steal, to snatch away the seed of God's word from your hearts, your minds, and your spirit so as to keep you from believing and being saved. Right now, I'm telling you what, folks, this very moment, you may be completely unaware, oblivious. You may not even care. The enemy is snatching away the seed of God's word that I just spent the last five minutes planting. You've been talking longer than five minutes. I know, but if you've forgotten the last five minutes, trust me, the other 20 are gone as well. Right now, one of the ways the enemy is actively working in your lives is by stealing the truth of God's word that is being planted. The Holy Spirit's here this morning. He's attempting to plant seeds of truth in your hearts, your minds, your spirit through worship, through the word this morning. And one of the keys to defeating the enemy in this area is you gotta be aware of his tactics. You gotta be aware of his strategies this morning. And then as Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. Guard it. Put a watch over your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Some of you are on a course for your life that is destructive because you haven't been guarding your heart. You've been allowing destructive seeds to be sown in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind, and you are reaping the consequences of that. There's been no guard over your heart. 
Proverbs says, guard it. Put a watch over your heart. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Some of you are on a crappy course for your life because you've done a crappy job of guarding your heart. Can you say crappy in church? King James says pisseth. (laughs) Some of you have done a miserable job of guarding your heart. And that's why the course of your life this morning is miserable. It just simply matches what you've allowed into your heart. Now one of the the keys to preventing this, again, from the enemy stealing God's word from you is you gotta guard your heart. Some of you are sitting right now and you're kind of thinking, well how does that happen? How do I know if the enemy is trying to steal the seed of God's word from me? Well, I'll give you one really good indication right now. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't believe that. That's a sign. I mean, that's a real clear indicator. That's kind of like a flashing yellow warning light. The enemy is at work. As a matter of fact, if you're thinking that way, it already may be done. The seed has been snatched. Well, I know the Bible says to do this, but I don't want to. I don't want to be obedient. Well, work of the enemy is already well underway. I know the Bible says that I should tithe, but that's Old Testament. I don't want to, and I can't afford it. The enemy stole it. He's pretty much got your seed. I think it's, it, aren't you on Cassius that says the devil just uh, ate your lunch and popped the bag? That's pretty much what he's done. You know, you read all these things in the Bible where the Bible says, you know what, we need to do this, and you're kind of like thinking to yourself, I don't want to, I don't believe that. The seed has pretty much been snatched. You've been ripped off. Thing is, you just don't realize it, or you just don't care. Well, I'm not a Christian, Besides, I think there's more than one way to heaven other than Jesus. Again, when you're thinking, believing, and doing things contrary to the word of God, I think that's pretty good, clear, concise evidence that the enemy has successfully snatched the seed of God's word from your heart. And you've done a poor job of guarding your heart. And that is going to determine the course of your life. One of the things the enemy can do is to keep you from believing and acting on God's word and to keep you from getting saved is to steal the word of God from your heart, your mind, and your spirit. 2 Peter 3.17 warns us and then encourages us this way. It says, I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends. This is a friend coming alongside of us and saying, let me just tell you this, be on Guard, the same thing as guarding your heart, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the heirs of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, and here he's giving you the alternative, he says you must grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where you're receiving, you are tending the seed of God's word. You are receiving and you are growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's receiving, intending, nurturing, watering, guarding the seed of God's word in your heart. In other words, if you want to keep the enemy from getting God's word, God's seed, grow in what you know. Grow in what you know. Oftentimes we're so busy trying to figure out what we don't know or what doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in what you don't know. Grow in what you do know and God will add to that truth and that revelation. Things you don't understand now, you'll understand at a certain point when you're just growing in what you already know. If you want to frustrate the enemy, if you want to get more seed, if you want to get more knowledge and revelation of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, grow in what you know. See, if the devil can't steal the seed of God's word from you to keep you from believing and getting saved, then he's going to sow weeds. If I can't steal it, I'll just start kind of sowing some weeds alongside of the good God is doing. As a matter of fact, the devil can, can steal the seed of God's word, the knowledge of God's word from your heart and keep you from growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he's also sowing weeds alongside of and on top of that weed. And chances are what's going to end up happening is if you don't know the difference, you're going to start confusing the wheat for weeds or you're just going to think everything is wheat. What do I mean by that? See, I hear this all the time. Some evil comes into people's lives, and for whatever reason, I think it's just their confusion between the wheat and the weeds. They just think that's from God. Oh, I, I, got, I got cancer. God, God gave me cancer. God didn't give you that. That is a weed. That came from the enemy. You are confusing that for wheat. This is what happens when you don't know the difference between wheat and weeds. Devil just sow stuff in there and you'll just think, oh, that's from God. Well, I just got to live with that. I, 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 got, I got an addiction. God, God must want me to have that. No, that's a weed. That didn't come from God. That didn't come from your heavenly father. Oh, I, I got in a car accident. God's just trying to teach me. God's not trying to teach you a lesson. Come on, let's be, let's be sober in our thinking on this. How many of you here this morning as parents would, would break your, your kid's arm? How many of you would give your kids cancer to teach them a lesson? I would never do that as badly as my kid may need to learn a lesson. I would never go to that extreme to teach my kid a lesson. And yet oftentimes we're comfortable thinking that's what God does. To teach me a lesson, God just kind of gives this evil, God just gives this sickness, this disease, God just brings this curse upon my life to teach me a lesson. Uh-uh, an enemy has done this. 
And we need to be able to differentiate between the wheat and the weeds because the problem is, is in the story, like the Pharisees, we'll start giving God credit for the weeds when God isn't the one responsible for the weeds that have been sown into your life. Psalm 103, verse 10, if you do not have this memorized, I would highlight it in your Bible. And maybe if you've got a Bible, I don't often recommend this, but this is a great verse. Maybe you just need to get rid of all the other pages in the Bible except for this one. So that every time you open that Bible, it kind of just falls to that page. But this is a great truth. He, God, does not punish us for our sins. He doesn't. That's why Jesus came and he, and he put his wrath, his anger, his punishment upon Jesus was to spare us. That was his plan in the Old Testament. It's been his plan from the beginning before the foundations of the world were ever laid that he did not want to punish us for our sins. That's why Jesus came and our sins were laid upon him. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Now I've done some bad things in my life, just like every one of you in this room. And on more than one occasion, I have been so thankful for this verse, that he does not deal harshly with me, even though he has cause to, even though I deserve it, God does not deal harshly with us. And thank God for that. I mean, if, if God dealt with us as we deserve to be dealt with, all of us would be a smoldering heap of ash right now. We'd all be in hell. But thanks be to God. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Okay. An enemy has done this. And again, it's important for us to understand the work of the enemy. Identify it, deal with it accordingly. We also need to understand the wheat. Part of the wheat this morning, part of the goodness that God is sowing in our lives this morning is right over here. When Jesus met with his disciples for the final time, he took some bread, very, very common elements back in Jesus' day, and, and he just took those and he lifted them up, he gave thanks to God, and he broke that bread, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And every time you do this, he said, do it in remembrance of me. When they were finished with the meal, he took that cup and he lifted the cup up, and he gave thanks to God, and he said, drink from this, all of you. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new understanding. This is the blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. An enemy has done this, but God has done this. Greater love has no man that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, you, all of you, are my friends if you do what I command. No matter what the enemy has done, will never ever compare to what the Father has done for us in the breaking of Jesus' body and the shedding of his blood. 
We have wholeness. We have healing by his stripes. We are healed, which the bread represents. We have forgiveness, which the wine, the juice, represents the blood of Christ. So regardless of what the enemy has done, compares nothing to what the Father has done for us. And this morning, this is what we recognize. This is what we celebrate, that what Jesus did for us overcomes all of what the enemy has tried to do. If you're here this morning with sickness and disease, I believe you can be healed just by receiving, rightly discerning. That means right thinking, attributing to the body of Christ what was meant to be attributed to that body that by his stripes, his broken body, we are healed. See, the Corinthians, there were some of them that were confused about that. And it says as a result of that, not rightly discerning, the body, not the, not the juice, it says not rightly discerning, the body, many of them died prematurely. Guard your heart, for it determines the course of life. Oftentimes, again, we are confusing the wheat for the weeds. We're taking what the enemy has done and receiving it as if it were from God. That is not rightly discerning the word. So I want to tell you this morning, no matter what the enemy has done, the work that God has done is greater, it is more victorious, it is eternal in the heavens and it will overcome any and all that the enemy is seeking to do this morning if you're here this morning and you've got addictions that's that's a work of the enemy God wants to set you free this morning he wants to override the work the plan the seed of the enemy this morning and this is what we come when we recognize in communion this morning whatever the enemy has done what God has done is greater still god has provided a more excellent way through the cross this morning father we just thank you lord and father i just pray lord that we would be able to rightly discern the word of god the work of god in our lives and father we just want to turn away right now god from any and all air god where maybe we have received the weeds the work of the enemy as wheat in our lives, is that from being from God? And Lord, nothing could be further from the truth. And so this morning, I just pray, Father, that you would set us free from just deceptive thinking. Father, I pray that you would set us free from misinterpreting, mishandling the word of God. But Father, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see clearly, to differentiate between the wheat and the weeds, the work of God and the work of the enemy in our lives, in our families' lives. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the means to overcome, to override the seed, the plan of the enemy. And Father, I just thank you, Lord. We start this morning with communion that no greater love than this this morning, no greater demonstration of your love for us than when Jesus came and willingly gave his life for us. There is no greater example of love than that. And Father, this morning, we want to just come 
And God, we want to receive the seed of that truth this morning. That God, in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes, the body, the blood of Christ this morning says, I love you and I forgive you. And Father, we just want to receive that truth this morning. That we want to be able to walk in that truth this morning. And that God, you're just going to continue to open our eyes, God, to all that you have for us. The good seed, God, that you're sowing into our lives, God, how we're able to begin to guard that. And God, how that will begin to determine the course of our lives this morning. So Father, I just thank you. Lord, I just pray that again you'll bring clarity. That God, you'll just bring revelation. That you'll bring illumination. You'll bring light to this truth in our lives. God, that we would no longer walk in deception. That we no longer walk in darkness. Because of the work that you are doing in us through the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we just thank you for that this morning. We receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we just close in worship this morning. I want to just.